Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain Our Design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design. Yes, yes. Sustain Open Source Design. SOS. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Sustaining Open Source Design, the podcast where we talk about the confluence of design and open source. How do they work together and how don't they work together at all? Very excited to talk with our guest today, but before I introduce him, I want to make sure that you know who the other hosts are. So I'm Richard Litauer. I'm one of the longtime standing hosts of Sustain and Sustaining Open Source Design. And our other host today is Django Skorupas. Django, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I am the UX designer at Open and RIT. Awesome. And our guest today is Aaron Collier. Aaron Collier is calling in from Brno in the Czech Republic, which is super cool. He is a technical writer, designer at Orbit, not Orbit Web, which I think is a thing that has to do with like open source community management, not Orbit, the decentralized platform that I worked for for two years, not Orbit, the gum but orbit something else. And we're going to get into what that is as soon as I ask him this question. Aaron, thank you for coming on the show. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Cool. All right, Aaron, can you tell me a bit about what you do at Orbit? Yeah, well, I mean, Orbit is the design system for Kiwi.com. Kiwi.com is a player in the travel industry. It offers up different ways to connect, to get to different kinds of places. And Orbit is the design system, which helps them build up designs for different properties for their applications on the web and mobile applications and so on. And the design system is supposed to make the experience consistent for all of the users, no matter which part of the system you're going through. And yeah, I did technical writing for that, which meant that I created the documentation and the document was responsible for the documentation site so that people knew how to use the design system, knew how to use Orbit, knew how to put that in place to create the consistent experiences for users. That's awesome. I love that. This is something that some orgs have done before, like Airbnb has their style guide, which is famously used all over the place. Can you talk a bit about the foundations of Orbit? Listeners, by the way, you can see this at orbit.kiwi. But uh, can you talk a bit about how that started? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't around for the very beginning of the design system. The person who brought me on was uh, Onza Toman. He left and he's now actually creating a design system at uh, Product Forward, which is a different app. I mean, he's very big in design systems in general. I mean, he's also very big on documentation and design systems, which is why he brought me into Orbit in the first place. But it was about making sure, I mean, especially Kiwi.com was originally a website and then they built out into, they have an Android application, an iOS application and so on, and making sure that the various designers, the various people who are building the kinds of experiences for different people could work in a way that was efficient and useful and that they weren't trying to like redo things over and over again, trying to put a system in place so that once you have decided, oh, this kind of thing should always have this much padding or whatever the specific design decision was to make sure that that was not having to repeat those kind of conversations over and over again to put a system in place to make sure it all made sense. 
I mean, a lot of it is making decisions at first, like, are we using a grid system? How are we scaling things up? How are we scaling things down? And those kinds of design decisions. And then also, of course, there are components that go into it. Like if you have a button, you want that button to be recognizable as a button wherever it is. And you can, maybe you will have different colors and different contexts or something like that, but you want to make sure that that button is consistent, like looks like a button and people, they go and they know, I don't have to worry about what is this going to be doing. I know if I click this, something is going to happen. <laughs> Hopefully exactly what. But the idea was to bring in that kind of consistency and not repeating that kind of work over and over again. I like that a lot. I mean, design systems make a ton of sense to anyone who's done any design, especially at like a larger website or app or suite of websites or suite of things. Because they're becoming more and more common, I feel like some of the questions I have as someone who has called for designs, some of the websites I've reviewed, sort of built some, but not really. But some of the questions I have are maybe a bit naive. And so, for instance, I'm always curious, how do you decide where to stop? What are the upper limits of abstraction for a design system? And how do you decide what is included and what isn't included? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I borrow from Honza a lot in this, in that I think it's always a process. It's not like you build something, you make a decision, and then that's how it is always going to be. I mean, like I said, I feel like it came out a lot. I mean, it wasn't there, but I feel like it came a lot out of, there were a lot of processes that were repeating and things that were clear. And so to bring some consistency into those conversations that people were having. And I think understanding that it is a conversation and you're going to be talking to different kinds of people and trying to make it that way. We have some components that's like a button. It seems just there's that one button. And then there's another component that's like the navigation bar. And that's a component. And in some ways it exists on the same level, but the navigation bar has a bunch of buttons in it or a bunch of menu items or something like that. And so I feel like, yeah, no, I mean, I feel like it's a thing where you start with what you think might make sense at the time for what you are doing for the processes that you are doing, but you have to make sure that you can either go higher or lower in the future. That does help. And it also helps me get to this question, which is you didn't design the first system. And thank you for being so kind as to talk about it. And that was someone else's experience. But you were brought on for a very specific reason. And it seems to be the reason. And it seems to be something at which you excel, which is writing documentation and helping other people know how decisions were made. Can you talk about how that process works on a design system basis? Yeah, well, I mean, because part of what a design system is, is making sure people are working together. Like I was talking about not having to repeat that kind of decision-making process. And so part of that is you have to document what that decision-making process is because you can present someone with just a button, but then if you come back in six months, you'll be like, why is it exactly this shade of blue and not like two shades lighter or something like that? And I mean, really, we've had lots of conversations about the different colors and shades of both of the buttons and things like that. And we don't want to be repeating those. I mean, we have internal jokes about how many different variants of the buttons there are. And we don't really want to add more or anything like that. And so the importance there is writing down partly how to use it so that people will adopt it, will feel comfortable with it, so people will understand how to use it, how to work with it in the system, and partly I mean, this is why I think Honza really was interested in was bringing in that kind of design decision, making sure that it was clear. And that's something that we do both on Orbit Kiwi, which is where you can see some of the design decisions are in part of the documentation there. We also had to do some of that. We designed in Figma 
And so some of the documentation, some of the ideas about why things are the way they are also exists in Figma. And of course, the developers have their own documentation, which exists within the React components that they're building. And so part of it is trying to understand how the whole system works. Like Orbit Kiwi pulls in parts from Figma, it pulls in parts from the React components and so on. So it's about making sure that that system works and makes sense to someone who is not in the middle of that system. I have a question which started out as a silly question, but I think mm-hmm. may be meaningful. So obviously there's a cool word called compunophobia. For those of you who don't know, it's the fear of buttons. This doesn't mean HTML buttons. It means the little physical things that you use to fasten your coat. My English teacher in 10th grade had this fear and really hated them. She had toggles instead, which is something I fear as a web designer. And what's interesting to me is you're talking about writing down the design systems, making clear that you know what they are and also how they were made. And you also talk about the fact that you have internal jokes about so many different buttons. I want to know what you do or what approaches you have to make this process easier. Because writing down the decision of like the decision tree and what the environment for the decision tree is, is a lot. And I fear that people who have fears of buttons are going to also have fears about describing all the stuff. That's just a way too much. So for you, I think you like your job is making it simpler and less scary for people to learn about how that decision is made. And I want to know how you do that effectively. Yes. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I would say it's a technical writer, both in the things I've done with Orbit and the other things that I've done. It is often about taking these complex topics and trying to simplify them because somebody inside the system needs to know all those kinds of details. Why is this this way? What is this exact padding? And someone who's outside of the system usually just needs to know where do I click? Where do I put this? What do I do in order to get the thing that I want? So a lot of it is simplifying that. I mean, you talked about decision trees. I was looking at all of the buttons that were in the system and I created a decision tree of my own in a, I don't remember actually what tool I used first, but it was just like, is this your case? Yes or no. And it it broke it down into a kind of like a, a classic kind of decision tree. And then we actually turned that into an interactive prototype in Figma where it like asks you a question and then you click yes or no, and it goes to a different part. And then you go through enough questions and you finally get to the end where it shows you, well, you should use this button specifically. I did that because for me, I didn't understand all of the buttons and what all of their purposes was. And so putting it into this kind of logical decision tree kind of thing helped me as an individual understand why we had all of these buttons. And so then I thought, well, maybe someone else could benefit from this. And then Milan, who's one of the designers on the Orbit team, had the idea to make it into an interactive prototype. People thought that was interesting. That is interesting. That's really interesting. I love that. That's the coolest thing ever. And I also wanted to chime in and say that I absolutely love the idea of meta Figma, of using the prototyping tools within Figma to support the actions of the designers within the company and the project. I think that's just fantastic. But my question is, with the regards to logic trees on a broader sense and with regards to technical writing and documentation, how do you decide how much justification is needed and how much of it should be, well, this is what we already talked about. This is what we are going to go with. Why are you asking why the sky is blue? And specifically, why is it this shade of blue versus that shade of blue? Yeah, that's one of the things I think in technical writing is you have to understand like where your users are coming from. You have to understand what it is exactly that they want to know. 
some of the design decisions that, that I did document in some places were because we decided. And then a few months later, people were like, why did we decide that? What is happening? And, and that kind of thing. And so just writing something simply down, I had saw it had come up as a question internally in our internal communications channel that someone had asked, why is this like that? And it seemed like writing down that decision would be an easy way not to have to repeat that. Yeah. I mean, I'll also say it always helps in terms of technical writing, in terms of writing things down. It always helps if you know who the users are, if you have some sort of direct connection to the people who are using it. And because Orbit is an open source project, so that means people can put in questions on GitHub or, or anything like that as well. But we also have people inside the company who are using it. And that meant that we had things like every little while, I was trying to remember the exact amount of time, but every little while we would talk to some of the teams who were using the design system and say, is this clear for you? Is this not clear for you? What could be more clear and that kind of thing? And it was partly about the system as a whole, but also took that as an opportunity to make sure, are there any decisions that you think aren't clear to you that you would like to make more clear in the documentation and so on. So I feel like it's about trying to understand who you're writing for and yeah, you're never going to get it perfect. I try to err on making sure that it's short enough that it's not overwhelming, but that there's at least something there as if people will see, okay, well, at least they're understanding what my kind of question would be. And providing enough context so that other people can walk that path and make those decisions and see how you ended up that way. Yeah. Aaron, it may just be your calm and peaceful demeanor, which I think probably helps you as a technical writer dealing with people who are either confused or don't want to be bothered writing down what they already know. Why should they write down something else? But I am curious, what's hard for you about this work? And what do you struggle with that you find like, here's where it gets difficult for me? Yeah, I actually think that a lot of it is what Django's question is about knowing how much context to provide, knowing how much information to provide, especially because I'm a technical writer and I know a lot of technical writers who are like me, who really like words. We're the kinds of people who enjoy reading things. Most of us don't read instructions for fun, but as a kid, if you're sitting down eating cereal or something and there's a cereal box in front of you, sometimes some of the people are the people who will read any words that are there, even the list of ingredients or something like that. I'm a kind of person who likes reading and trying to cut that down and understanding not everybody else likes reading as much as I do. Not everybody wants all of that context. They want the context, but they don't want to go through all of these amazingly, beautifully crafted sentences to get there. Sometimes you just want bullet points. Sometimes you just want a button. Sometimes you just want to get to what you're doing. It's about having empathy for the situation that the other person is in when they're reading their, your documentation or whatever. Because a lot of the time, I mean, documentation, as they're saying, it's not usually something that you go to for fun. It's something that you're doing to try to like accomplish a task or something like that. And sometimes you're going there because you've tried using this four different ways and you're really frustrated and you just don't know what's going on. When you get to the documentation and maybe they're making like pop culture references or jokes or something like that. And you're like, just, be quiet. Tell me what I need to do. And it's about trying to understand the situation that the person is in when they're coming to you, what you have written and trying to provide what they want, as opposed to what I, as an individual who has all of this information, wants to know. It's remarkable that you talk about that because it is being empathetic for someone that you have not met yet that is not in the situation that they're going to be in yet. 
And I think we talk a lot about you know, making microcopy more personable, but for a lot of people, that just means making it more funny, making it more witty, making it more casual. But sometimes people don't want that. Sometimes people want very specific, explanatory, simple, easy to read copy. And that's such a good thing to think about. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think there is a place where some of that kind of funny copy can work. And it's just about understanding what exactly the situation is. I mean, like you said, it's somebody who is not even in that situation now. If you're writing for someone, you have to understand that person and also who that person might be in six months or something. When I work with developers, I mean, one of the things with writing code is the writing documentation about code is it's about, partly it's about writing for yourself in six months because you've forgotten what it is. I mean, I guess it's probably true with designers. I just don't have that experience with designers, but I know with developers in the code comments and something like that, it's about you come back to it in six months and you're like, why did I write it this way? Why did I design it this way? Why did I make this decision? And so part of it is it's you're writing for someone who's not in that situation now. And I think that's a good way of thinking about it. So I'm looking at Orbit online, looking at orbit.qe and what's cool about everything you're talking about is that it's not just an internal documentation system for your team, but it's actually open source, which is the whole point of this podcast. Hello, welcome to SOSD. So what's interesting to me is that Orbit.Kiwi appears to actually have a fair amount of contributors. You have 1.2 thousand stars. I don't know why I didn't say 1,200 or 1,200, but I did. And then you also have almost 50 contributors, which is a lot of people. Talk to me about how you get that many contributors to a docs slash like to this. I'm just amazed. That's awesome. Well, I mean, the docs are a part of the system itself. So it's part of those are, con I mean, it's not like that many contributors and that many stars for the docs themselves. It's the components plus the docs and everything. Uh, okay. So, I mean, I still think it's great that people are contributing and interested in it. It was really interesting to me when I joined and the people, I saw people who had nothing to do with the company who were like, oh, I'm trying to use this for my project it's not working. Why isn't this working or something like issues or feature suggestions for their use cases. And I thought, yeah, that that was great. And I know that when Honza started it, that was an important thing for him was to be able to show other people, this is a thing that you can use yourself. You can use this for your travel project and so on to provide templates and other ways that people can use to build out their own kinds of systems. And it's interesting that people in like different countries we have no contact with where it started to use it. I mean, at least I have no contact with them. And as far as I know, they got it from somebody linking to the GitHub site and then being like, oh, this is interesting. And then they started using it and, and it worked for them. We don't have a specific community building kind of thing where we go out and try to pull people into it or something like that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting system. People have put work into it. And I think that people react to that Yeah, because it's useful. I mean, that's my thought. I mean, we have people who've been talking about it in terms of it's a design system and talked about it at a couple of conferences. And I think that kind of thing has helped. But I think it's mostly if you put something out there that people can use and you make it clear how to get started with it, you provide the framework for them to be able to use it quickly and efficiently, then they probably will start using it. Build it and put signs up and they will come. One of the things, sorry, pop culture reference, we just said those aren't really relevant because I don't know where you are, oh, listener. Maybe you're in your car. Maybe you'd hate that film. I don't know how you feel about Kevin Costner. I apologize. 
you mentioned something really interesting there, which is you don't have a community manager and you don't go out and evangelize about this. And yet you still have significant contributions. And I know it's to the entirety of Orbit and not just the docs, but that's still pretty cool, especially as how many sites are using travel design systems. So is there a reason you don't have a community manager? Is there a reason you haven't thought about selling this as some of the things that Kiwi offers? Because until I saw your name on the open source design session, I think at Foster, until I saw that, I hadn't been aware of Orbit.Kiwi. And so I'm curious, why don't you do those sorts of things? I may have downplayed a little, like, I mean, we don't keep quiet about it entirely. We have a Twitter account where we sometimes tweet about things, or we have in the past, at least. We have really good designers and who have gone to like conferences, like I said, and mentioned it and things like that. I mean, I don't honestly know who all of the people are who gave it a star. I wouldn't have thought that there were that many people building travel projects myself, but I know that there are people who have used Kiwi components to build things about finding the right bus connections between places in England and things like that. I mean, I know that it has been useful for things that are used in travel projects. We do have a developer community manager at Kiwi. There is one of those, but they're not like specifically focused on Orbit in particular. So I would say the Orbit gets mentioned and is mentioned by people, but it's just not a large focus. But I think having it out there, having it in GitHub is always a positive thing. I mean, just opening yourself up to the possibility. And there've been some processes like they've, we've participated in Hacktober before, where I think that got some people aware of the project and what could have been happening. And so there's different kinds of ways that people can become aware of it. And I think that that is a good thing in general. Thank you for explaining that you may have downplayed it. That does make a bit more sense. It is interesting to me that you just don't do that because for me, open source is often about, or at least one of the best things about having an open source project is just talking about it to all sorts of people and then having them use it with you. That maybe because most of the projects and the people I talk to in open source are people who are very, very talkative about their projects. I mean, this is a podcast, right? I don't talk to people who make open source things and then just leave them alone forever. I could do that more, but most of the time it's the people who want to talk about what they're doing. So it's just kind of interesting to see cases where it's successful without spending a ton of time working on that. And to that end, how do you, or do you go about, you know, deciding who to attract to your project? Is that a consideration that still happens if you're not performing like the usual rigmarole of evangelizing, I say with massive scare quotes on that? Or is that just something that happens within the realm of Richard's outdated and old Kevin Costner reference? If you build it, they will submit pull requests. One of the things that I would say is we have had people make suggestions on the project to make it more universal, not just travel focused. I mean, even within the company and even without the company, there are people like, could you do this thing? It would make it more general. It would fit my use case. It would fit what I want to do with it. And it would just mean adding slightly more to the complexity of the project. And it's not necessarily helpful in terms of it being focused on the travel project. So I would say that narrowing down the focus of the project, making sure that it's clear exactly what the aim of the project is, has helped it make it more effective because it's not saying this 
component is trying to do 10 different things for 10 different people. It's like, this is this specific kind of travel project. And so it's more useful in that context. And we could say yes to everything and we could start trying to push, get as many pull requests as possible. But I think that would possibly make it less effective in what it's trying to do, which is being streamlined on that one purpose. And so I think focusing on what the purpose of the project is and what kinds of use cases you actually will cover is a useful way to think about that kind of thing. Because I do think in open source in general, I mean, you want to get people interested in it. You want to reach out to everybody that you can. But I think if you do that, then you start overextending yourself and then you can't necessarily answer to all of those things, especially if you're adding in new features or new components that you don't personally have a use case for, or you're not exactly sure what it's for, and then maintaining it in the future, knowing why you should use it and so on becomes more difficult. And then the whole project becomes more difficult. It's really sounds like it's akin to the design premise of the original premise of minimalism, which is to say you have exactly enough function, a place for everything and everything in its place. Absolutely. Having clear definitions for what you need means that the people who will be contributing will be contributing in a way that you want. And that's fantastic. Yeah. Given how many different kinds of buttons we have, I don't think we live up to that principle, but I think that there is something that is to be said that we would like to have something like that. We've focused a lot so far on tech writing and on Orbit as a design system. I'm curious, given that some of our guests have been much more designery, much more, I paint things. And some of our guests have been much more, I actually don't think myself as a designer at all. I just am a program manager, but some of the things I think about are actually design. I guess if you gerrymander it in a different weird way in a square hole, round peg, et cetera, et cetera. I'm curious what your thoughts are on your work being design work and whether you identify as a designer. Yeah. I don't think that I personally identify as a designer. I understand the work with Kiwi is working within the design field and I mean, I helped with the ideas behind the documentation site and so on. I mean, also a little bit of the code behind the site, but I wouldn't say I think of myself as a designer. I think as a tech writer, I think of myself as being very good in terms of words and making things simple and that kind of thing. And also very good at learning at least enough to be dangerous about a lot of different topics. And so I feel like I understand what design is and some of the principles behind it and so on. But I don't think that I do design on a regular basis enough to say I am a designer. I feel like in order to write about something, I mean, this is why I like technical writing. This is why I like doing documentation and technical writing in general is it gives me a chance to learn about lots of different kinds of things, but I never learn enough to be what I would call an expert in any of those subjects. I learn enough to know what expertise is and have some opinions about kinds of things. When I do documentation websites, for example, I can look at the design of the site in a way that is designer E or something like that. But I wouldn't say I am a designer in terms of the whole process, understanding all of the things that go into it and so on. I would say at a shallow level, I understand what design is and what's interesting and what's important about it, but I don't feel like I do it. So I don't feel like I am a designer. I hate to break this to you, but you're a designer. (laughs) This sounds very, very much like everything that we talk about. I think that you are as much, if not more of a designer than many of the designers that I have worked with in the past. 
which is not many, but it is some. I will say you're a designer from Django's perspective. As a descriptivist, he's saying, I would put you in the classical designer. He's not saying you now have to call yourself one, although you totally can and should. So I just saying, you know, thank you for clarifying, you, Richard. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Cool. You can put yourself firmly in the class of designer, but do not feel confined or bound by any of those definitions whatsoever. Okay. No, I mean, I think that's a useful perspective. I even think of myself as an editor who works with words and puts them together into a thing. I wouldn't even say I think of myself as a writer per se. I don't like write books or something like that. So it's hard. I mean, I know people who do like UX writing, it's now called like content design. It's designing the content. It's trying to make sure that the content fits the context and so on. And I know that's a conversation that could be had a long one about that. But that kind of idea about words and designing the words to fit the situation is also, I think, relevant to what I do. I think so too. I have a linguistics background. So that's what I went to school for. I have degrees in linguistics, but I don't go around saying I'm a linguist per se, most of the time, but a lot of those tools that I learned are very, very relevant for this sort of work. For instance, the prescriptive versus descriptive debate, I learned that because there's massive debates in linguistics around what is a dictionary for, et cetera, et cetera. How do we understand how people use words? So I hear you on the wordsmithing, the word hoarding, the word flandering, all the cool word words. One of the questions I have now, like hearing a bit more about your perspective about being a designer or not being a designer or whatever you want to call yourself is this isn't just the open source design podcast. We've covered those things a lot. We haven't covered a lot is sustained. So there's an obvious area where having a design system is really, really good for a community. It helps the community grow. It helps people use the project. It helps the project grow. Labeling what decisions were made makes it easier for people from different backgrounds and different places in order to enter the system. And we could talk about that too, again, in more detail. But for me, those are just like standard documentation leads to better, more sustainable open source. Excellent. Full stop. What's next? One of the questions I have is how do you interface with a larger ecosystem, given what you're doing to make sure that doc writing in general is more sustainable? Do you do it by just being really exceptional at building a design system or are you proactively helping the ecosystem more and or trying to build a better open system, open source world? Yeah, one of the things that we wanted to do when we redesigned Orbit Kiwi to look as it does now, and it was previously in a WordPress site and now it's all of the content, all of the code for it lives in GitHub and it's all open source. And one of the reasons behind that was in my mind, I mean, I was one of the one people who was pushing for that kind of change was I wanted that to be out there as an example. Partly we use some Orbit components in building the site. And I thought putting that out there as a built site that uses the components in some way would be interesting in terms of how could I use these components in an interesting way. And partly I thought that it was useful to give back I know that Orbit relies on other open source projects too. And I feel like putting out the documentation as an open source way, as a thing that people could build on was something that I thought was important to me. And we use Gatsby. And so one of the things, the idea was originally to make a template that would make it possible to use this kind of documentation system in the future for other kinds of documentation projects. If you're building a design system and so on, it's not something that's happened yet, but it is something that was in our minds when we were creating the site originally. Now, it doesn't work perfectly at the moment because like I said, Orbit is 
primarily a, like a travel project design system. And so you can't just put all of the components and build a website using only those things. That's for documentation. We created some documentation components and things like that in order to display it. And so if you use Gatsby, if you use React components and building a documentation website, you could use the documentation components that we have built because it's open source. And now you can use that for your own website. And it's not a perfectly developed, you can plug and play your own documentation system or something like that. But I feel like putting it out in the open, letting other people see it, maybe get inspired by it and something like that. That's one of the reasons it exists in the way it does right now. I like that. I like that that was your thinking to begin with. And that's why it's continued to be this way. That's obviously why you've gotten contributions. Uh, Gatsby templates are excellent things. I know that the Sustain Open Source Design website, I believe it's at sustainosis.org slash design. But we're definitely on GitHub. Also use it a GitHub template built by Justin Flory, who does very similar work at UNICEF. And so trying to make sure that we're building templates that can be used elsewhere. What's interesting to me is that that model of sharing and building an ecosystem strikes me as only one among several. So the model is, okay, let's build something really great and other people can use it. Excellent. But that doesn't seem to be going down the stack and it doesn't seem to be actively being part of a community of other people. Now, right now you're doing that, right? We're having this conversation. So you are doing work with other people and I'm not blaming or shaming here. I know it may come off that way. I'm just curious about what you think about perhaps contributing back to open source tools, which have been used in building up your template. Like do you contribute back to Gatsby's documentation. And do you think about design contributions as being a unit of currency within the larger open source design ecosystem? I've definitely thought about it in terms of contributing upwards, but as I said, I don't like consider myself a designer and I, you know, Fair. I take what you have said into consideration and maybe think about it differently going forward. But I haven't thought of like me personally, I haven't thought of me personally being someone who could contribute up to some other project in terms of design. I mean, I have taken opportunities at times to be like, there's this small gap in your documentation and I will try to contribute back to that. But because of the way that I approach things, I haven't contributed back in terms of code ever design or something like that in terms of the other open source projects. I mean, I agree with you that it's something that's important in terms of building a sustainable model for all of this, that it's not just taking these things that other people have done and building on top of it and then not giving back at all. That's not sustainable. And I understand that. And it's definitely a thing that I've thought about, but because I think of myself as a writer, I don't personally always contribute back in other kinds of ways. When I think of the places that I'm trying to volunteer my time and push back in other open source communities, it's places that are other documentation systems, other documentation tool chains and things like that, where I understand more of the entire system. I'm like, this is about documentation. So I understand it rather than this is about design and I understand some of it, but it's hard for me to contribute to the whole thing when I only understand this small part of it that I need for what I do. I totally get that. And I really hear that. And I think it was a really tough question. I mean, I'm thinking now about words that you mentioned words. I teach Latin. And so I'm reading the letters of Seneca right now. I can't go back and contribute to the letters of Seneca. I don't even know what that would mean, right? The best I can do is share my love of Latin 
which is kind of what you're saying, right? Don't just contribute back all the time. Sometimes that's just one approach towards building a better world. Sometimes sharing what you do and sharing what you love is enough. So I just want to honor that and thank you. So yeah, I think that's contributing to the ecosystem too. And I like that you are going back and contributing to other design systems. I like that you are making the ecosystem better. I think that's an authentic way to engage in the community at large. So thank you very much. Even if you're not a capital W writer, writer, you're still an excellent writer and I appreciate you for that. I guess I also want to say that there was something inherent to and kind of begged in my question, which is I had asked you individually, what do you do? Which is individualistic and individualistic answers aren't that interesting. I mean, they don't, they don't solve the problems we're seeing at scale with open source sustainability. Questions that depend upon the community at large, those are the interesting ones. So thank you for raising that. Thank you for being part of this conversation. I really appreciate your time here. But speaking of time, we are running up and I want to make sure we have time for Spotlight in a bit. But before that, Aaron, it's been great that you've shared so much on this podcast. I would like to know where people can go to hear more about you. I mean, you could find the Orbit design system at orbit.kiwi. You could also find it on the Kiwi website, of course, if you want to go by means of travel. I'll probably go do that later. But where can we hear more about you and your work? Me personally, I mean, I write a little bit at the website at collier.cz. That's the the Czech Republic. I mean, I don't do a lot there, but there's a write-up of the talk that I gave at FOSTEM, which is about Orbit and designing there and things like that. Yeah, I work on GitHub sometimes, but I feel like you can get all of that through the website to call your season. Aaron, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing from your expertise. But don't leave yet. This is now the time for Spotlight. Spotlight is a special part of the show where we highlight projects that have helped us or people who have guided us along the way or just things which we think could use some light on them. So, Django, what is your spotlight today? Today, I will spotlight two incredible teachers who were twins in my high school. And I would not be here in any way, shape, or form without them. They were the heads of the art program at my performing arts high school that I went to. And without them and their extreme attention to detail and understanding the process and working through everything that you do right, maybe not the first time, but right the second or third time and understanding what you learned the first two or three times you failed, I would not be where I am today. I mean, I would not have gotten into design school without all of the sets that I made with them in high school. So Martin and Carl Bridge, thank you for everything. Sweet. My spotlight today is a few things, actually. First, I want to spotlight Mrs. Honicky. Thank you, Ms. Honicky. You taught me about the fear of buttons. Didn't know that was a thing before, but you helped normalize it. So thank you for that. Second, I want to highlight Orbit.love. It's a tool you can use to find out who follows you on GitHub and sort of help figure out what your community is and figure out how you can target and include them in your work. I really want to highlight them today because Eric Berry, another host of the Sustain podcast, is working there and he seems very happy, which makes me happy. So thank you. Uh, and finally, OrbitDB. It's just to round out all the orbits. If you need a decentralized append-only store based on IPFS, OrbitDB is the one for you. Great people. I really love this project a lot. So thank you. And finally, Aaron, what is your spotlight? 
Well, first, I feel like I should add a spotlight to my Latin teacher from high school, without whom I definitely would not be here. I'm not it's sure a I would have graduated high school if it weren't for him. I mean, unfortunately, he passed away. But yes, he was an amazing teacher and an amazing person who helped me get through high school in difficult time. So thank you, Dr. Fivash. And in terms of an open source project, I mean, like I said, I think of myself as someone who works with words. So what I wanted to highlight is a tool called Veil, which I use extensively. It's a way to run linting through your words. It means that you can check your words. You can do things like check them for grammar, for spelling. You can put in a style that you want people to contribute in. It also checks for insensitive language if you want. It allows you to define rules that will check your words to make sure that they come out well. I mean, especially if in terms of if you have a system, like a design system that has ideas for content, you can use this tool to make sure that the words fit that system. I like that. Two of the projects that they say at a glance on the README, Veil verse X, are projects that I'm a maintainer on. One of them is Write Good and one of them is Alex. And so it seems to be in good company, which is the best. Continue making cool stuff. I like that it's in Go. Bell looks great. V-A-L-E, not B-A-I-L for those of you who ski. Aaron Collier, it was a wonder and a joy to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining us. I wish you all the best. And hopefully if our travel plans at some point coincide, possibly due to the existence of a wonderful travel website that has way too many buttons, but at least we know this isn't true to get to them. May we meet in person. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It was lots of fun for me too.